as you're here sitting uh, today, are you open to the voice of God for the Advent people at this stage of earth's history? What is the message that the Lord has for you as a Seventh-day Adventist sitting in the pew for me as a minister of the gospel preaching the Advent message? You know, I don't know if you've noticed, but I love the church, the Seventh-day Adventist church and its message. I love it not because it's um, a more intellectual set of beliefs than another denomination. I love it because I have confidence that the Lord has raised up the Seventh-day Adventist church. Now having said that, I realize that not everybody and not everything that has happened in the Seventh-day Adventist church is perfect. But that is what gives me hope because I know that the Seventh-day Adventist church is a movement, a prophetic movement, that fulfills Bible prophecy um, in the book of Revelation 10 and 11 and chapter 14. Because I believe that, I believe that there is hope. And uh, we must know why we're here and uh, what is the mission that God has given us. And so I pray for a revival. I pray for revival in my own life, in my own heart, and for this church and for every Seventh-day Adventist church. You know, we're going through hard times right now. It's not easy. It's not easy to have faith. It's not easy to be a Christian. It's not easy to be a Seventh-day Adventist. We're in the minority. And that thought always comes, you know, can the minority be right? Well, I'm not worried about being the minority or being right. I'm worried about staying close to Jesus. How about you? If we do that, friends, though the way may be tough, though we may have hard times, the exodus is proof that God is almighty. He loves his people. He makes a difference between the people that follow him and those that don't, those that are faithful to him and will go forward courageously at his bidding. I pray that that will be our experience. Let us bow our heads as we pray. Father in heaven, Lord, you know I am tired physically, emotionally, but Lord, I'm not tired spiritually because I know that your promises can never fail. Dear God, you have been with us these nine years and four months that we have been here in the United States. You have blessed us. You've taken us through challenges and difficulties. You've brought us through. And Lord, we pray that you may continue to keep your regard upon your church. Keep us, Lord, under your wings. Bless us, Father. Help us to realize our identity more now than ever before. Help us to realize our wanderings and to come back to you before it is too late. Oh, Father in heaven, may you speak to your congregation today is my prayer. And to me, I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So it seems like in my series, I'll only have enough time to preach seven. This is number six, the Exodus and God Almighty. And so we have part six, the plagues that uh, fall in Egypt. 
I shared with you um, what was called the greatest movie of the biblical exodus. Do you remember that I shared with you? It's not the, the exodus story that's summarized in this little book, but it is the one that um, has been in the cinema screens that have portrayed Moses and God in a rather unbiblical light. The, the um, director, Ridley Scott, is the director or was the director of the Gladiator movie and uh, friends I really am sorry about that movie because it doesn't really portray the biblical story as we read in the Bible but there is a number of documentaries that I encourage you to look at patterns of evidence is one of them that came out last year around Christmas um, a little bit before the um, the one by Ridley Scott and this one is one that I would recommend it is a documentary made by Tim Mahoney who searches for answers to these questions amid startling new finds that may change uh, traditional views of history and the Bible this documentary was uh, 12 years in researching four years in the making 50 interviews conducted with leading experts and explorers over uh, 1,200 film hours and 10,000 photos. I encourage you to try and find a copy of that one. You can find it on patternsofevidence.com. And you know, the story of the Exodus really is the story of the challenge that Satan puts to God and his people. The story of the Exodus is about who is right. Is God right? Is he in charge or is Pharaoh or the devil in charge? And you know, as we go through life, I, I have, I'm more and more convinced that everything we encounter is a challenge to these great truths. Is God right? Is his word true? Or is the devil right? And his lies, are they uh, what we should follow? You think of any conflict you have, um, any situation you may be in, it can be narrowed down to whether what God says is that true or is what the world telling us the truth. So patterns of evidence, you can um, look that uh, up and find some very good, well-researched uh, documentary material on that. And so we left off Moses at the burning bush and him kind of grappling with the Lord and asking him, how can I know that you are sending me? And uh, I am weak. I have got no um, skills. I, I am not a very good speaker. And he's giving all of these excuses. And God says to him and proves to him that he will be with him. He shows him a number of miracles um, with the rod and his hand turning leprous and the, the staff turning into a snake he's showing him these signs he's convincing him and he says that you will come with the people from Egypt you'll bring my people up out of Egypt and you will come and worship me on this mount now that was an amazing statement because that mount the Mount Sinai the Mount Horeb we discovered last time we were together is in northwest Saudi Arabia in Midian 
And so Mount Sinai is located there. It is there that God spoke to Moses. It is there that Aaron and Moses meet. The Bible tells us that God told Aaron to go and meet with Moses. And so they meet after so many years of separation. And they share with each other what it has been like. And Moses shares with Aaron what God has told him and the plan for the uh, great exodus and deliverance of God's people. And so in Exodus chapter 4, 29 to 31, we read, And Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. It's interesting that before they actually set off on their journey, Moses um, thinks to bring along his wife and his children. And uh, you remember the episode of the angel stopping um, Moses and uh, his, his wife doing the circumcision. And uh, notice that incident because he had to do and we have to do everything that we know to be right to survive in these last days. He was going on an important mission, yes or no? Could he have anything undone that had to be done according to the biblical story? No. And so that was uh, a very important detail that teaches us that we need to do what we know to be right. Amen? So that God can bless us. Amen? Amen. So, verse 30, And Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken unto Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. So they've gone back to Egypt and they've been able to um, meet up with their brothers and the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that they had looked upon and that he had looked upon their affliction, then they bowed their heads and worshipped. They believed. Friends, I want to notice the journey now as it begins. The people believed. They said, yes, okay, Moses, we believe that God has sent you to deliver us. This was 40 years later. Moses is now 80 years of age. He tried to do it in his own strength, and now he is totally submissive to God, and he's afraid because he realizes that this task is too big for a man to do by himself. Amen? All along the way, God had to guard Moses and protect Aaron with um, his angels. And then we read, as they got to Egypt, afterwards Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. And of course, this would have been the institution of the first Passover feast. And all that that symbolizes. And Pharaoh said, and this is where now we see the battle start to um, heighten. Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. Friends, this in summary is the challenge that is given to God by the devil, and this is the battle that God's people have to face. This is the argument that is put forward. Pharaoh is really representing Satan, and he is inspiring his people, 
the Egyptians as a symbol of all those that are rebellious against God and don't want to acknowledge God and do what he says. If you think about it, let's just look and examine the situation. The Israelites were God's people, yes or no? Um, what kind of situation were they living in? They were in slavery, right? Who were their masters? The Egyptians. What kind of religion did the Egyptians have? Pagans. They were um, idol worshippers and worshipping the river Nile, flies, frogs, and all kinds of things that they believed were their gods. So from a human perspective, who was prospering the most? The people that believed in the one God or the Egyptians that believed in many gods? Can you see the argument playing out? Can you see how the devil tries to weaken the strength and the courage of believers? He says, look at all these people that don't believe in God. They don't care about him. They don't know who he is. They don't want to obey him. And they are better off than you. Have you ever had or felt that argument put to you? Well, friends, you see, God doesn't deliver by human strength. He delivers by his own strength. And it is when we realize that there is nothing that we can do that then we can give room for God to come in and take over. Amen? You see, let me tell you a little bit about the Pharaoh of the time when Moses went back to um, Egypt. This Pharaoh, historians have called him the Napoleon of Egypt. He is Tutmosis III, and uh, his statue is in Luxor Museum, located in the Egyptian city of Luxor, ancient Thebes, and it stands on the Cornish overlooking the west bank of the River Nile in the central part of the city. And this man, this, this pharaoh, is known to be ferocious. And so he is the, the one that God is going to humble. He is the greatest of the pharaoh, pharaohs of that time. And so he is stubborn. He says, I don't know God, and I will not let, who is he, and I will not let his people go. So here you have the challenge. God's people are in slavery. The Egyptians are superior and are the taskmasters. This is the battle. And so now Moses and Aaron meet Pharaoh. And you know, the first meeting with Pharaoh did not go very well. The first meeting with Pharaoh um, was that the Pharaoh said, Oh, it's because you are idle, is it? that you want me to let you go. Well, let me teach you a lesson. All the bricks that you're um, making, we will not now supply you with straw. You must find your own straw and not diminish the tally of bricks. So the first meeting with Pharaoh went like that. And so the Israelites now had to um, make as many bricks as they were making before, but now they themselves had to go out and get the straw for themselves. This was a terrible um, increase in their labors. In fact, the, the Bible tells us that they were filled with anguish. And it's amazing how they react. The Israelites, they didn't realize that this was Pharaoh's doing, and so they went to Pharaoh. The Israelites, the, the, the leaders of the Israelites went to Pharaoh, and they said, Pharaoh, why are we being asked to 
um, make as many bricks as we were before, but we don't have the straw now. We read that in chapter 5, verse 19. And the officers of the children of Israel did see that they were in evil case. In other words, that Pharaoh was angry with them. And after it was said, you shall not diminish anything of your bricks, of your daily task. Then they went and faced Moses and Aaron. When they faced Moses and Aaron, Moses and Aaron got an earful, to put it lightly. They got an earful. Now hang on, let's back up a minute. Did they or did they not believe the message that Moses and Aaron had come to them and said, God is going to deliver us? Did they believe it, yes or no? They did. Now, at the first sign of hardship, they're at the throats of Aaron and Moses. Please note. Please note. So what they start doing is saying, look, you're making... Moses, because of you, you are making our job as slaves harder. Hang on a minute. I thought they had just said that they were ready and believing that they were going to get delivered. It sounds like they are happy to stay slaves. They just don't want to get the straw themselves. Can you see how their mind is working? Can you see how they, were, they said, yes, we want to have a deliverer. But then as soon as the going got a bit tough, they said, well, you know what? We'd actually prefer rather to stay in our slavery and not have to do quite so much work. Can you, can you, see, can you read between the lines and see what they are saying? They're saying we don't want to be liberated. You know, friends, I wonder if we apply that to ourselves today. Do we want to be liberated from sin? I think maybe a few of you did from the kind of grumble, moan I, I heard. Hmm. Some of us act like we want to stay here longer. Are we any different from the Israelites? And then we want to stay here longer, and then we blame the spiritual leaders. It was interesting. I had somebody um, talking with me, and uh, they were talking about sometimes the contention and strife that there is in church. Is, is that anybody kind of noticed that contention and strife that, that there is in, in church it, and you know friends there has always been contention and strife when somebody gets up and says this is the way we need to go there will always be tension and strife with those that will say well I prefer not to go God's way God is loving I can go my own way right that's what people will say and so when the leaders of God that are coming along and saying, we need to follow God's word. We need to follow the prophet. Let me ask you a question. Was Moses considered in the scriptures as a prophet? Yes or no? Yes, he was. He was considered a prophet. And in fact, Moses himself prophesied that there would be from among the people a prophet like himself. So he makes himself a prophet under inspiration, but he's referring to Jesus. And we have Jesus present with us in the Seventh-day Adventist church in the spirit of prophecy. What did the people say? They said, yes, we will follow God as he becomes our liberator. But as soon as things got different, they went back 
to the prophets and said, you are leading us in the wrong path. And you know, I am brought to remember that people today challenge the prophet. Have you heard people say, well, you know, she wrote for her era, back in her day. And as if there is something superior now that we have. Do you realize, friends, and I say that with all my heart, do you realize that we should not be on this earth? That in God's plan, we should have reached the heavenly Canaan already by the guidance and direction that we had in the spirit of prophecy that was right there with us, live in the flesh, in the work and writings and ministry of Ellen White. We have been told that it was not God's will that we should still be wandering in the desert, on this earth still. And it is because God's people have rejected the prophet that we are still here. We could have left this earth already shortly after 1844, again shortly after 1888, again shortly after um, 1901 or 2. We're here too long. Why are we still here? The answer I have found is clearly because God's people one time say, yes, we follow God. In the baptismal vows, yes, we'll follow everything that the, the Bible teaches and the spirit of prophecy. But then somehow the going gets tough and we back off and we say, well, you know what, it must be that that was um, you know, for, for a different time and it doesn't apply today. The mentality of Pharaoh comes back again. And friends, this is truly an amazing story. Because the Bible tells us that there are parallels. Parallels. Have you, did, you, did you catch that? That the story of the Exodus is a direct parallel or it, it is an enactment of God's people and their journeyings before the second coming of Jesus. Read it. Maybe you haven't read it recently. I challenge you to read um, Testimonies, Volume 5. And look there for the parallels that she brings between the Egypt and the Israelites of old and the world we're in today and the Adventist church today. This is a biblical truth. Turn with me into the book of Corinthians, written by Paul. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And I don't want to read the whole 12 verses, but I will just read because Paul recounts the story of the Exodus and some of their failings and how they were disobedient, how they rebelled, how they had unbelief, how they were complainers. And they didn't listen to the voice of the prophetic guidance that they had. And that rock that was actually leading them was, was Jesus. And they drank from that spiritual rock that was Jesus. All the stories in, in that episode of the Exodus point to Jesus in a beautiful way. In the wilderness, there was the rock Jesus Christ. He was struck once and water came out to satisfy and quench the thirst of the millions of Israelites that had come out. But friends... Let us just look at this in verse 6. Now, these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they lusted. You know, friends, the Bible says, don't love the world and the things that are of the world. Have you noticed in your own heart, as I have noticed in my own heart, how the things that the world offers can sometimes be so much of our focus 
You know, our jobs and our financial security. You know, if, if we can be Christian only so long as everything is going well for us financially, friends, we, we've got a lot to learn. We need to learn to trust God even when the going gets tough. We need to learn to trust God even when we have all our belongings taken away. When we have our freedoms taken away. We need to trust God through it all. And so these stories were written. Then in verse 11 we read, Now these things happened unto them for ensamples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. The ends of the world are come. Who are they? They are Adventist believers, right? The story of the Exodus is written for us. Now as we go through the plagues, and as we see how, in fact, Moses was to come to Pharaoh, and remember, he's the Napoleon of Egypt. He is stubbornly refusing to let God's people go. But what you'll notice in the plagues is that they are of increasing magnitude and effect as you go down. And Moses tells Pharaoh every time, he tells him what the, the plague is going to be, and he tells him the effect. Why? Why does he tell him, Pharaoh that? It's because God is fair. And even that he knew the stubborn, rebellious heart of Pharaoh, he was giving him an opportunity to change his mind. Now the fact that God knew that, he wouldn't, that Pharaoh wouldn't change his mind doesn't mean to say that God was forcing Pharaoh to harden his heart. And in fact, this may be a big question in some of your minds. I know it was when I first looked at this. You know, the Bible says, I see it there, um, that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. But then I also read that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. So you kind of end up wondering, which is it? And we think um, very uh, Western-like. We have a very Greek kind of way of thinking. The Hebrew thinking is very, very different. And uh, so when, when the Bible will say that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, to us Westerners, we, we think that it means that he forced him and didn't allow him to do anything different than what God was forcing him to do. Well, in actual fact, when you look at it, the, the evidence that God was giving, that he was demonstrating the power that he was showing, should have been to Pharaoh an opportunity for him to realize that God is superior. And so God was showing him these miraculous things that were happening through the plagues. I don't have time to go through all of them, but I'll just mention a few of them. Pharaoh was, was seeing these things happen, and he was being shown that God is superior. So the, the plagues should have been convincing Pharaoh and saying, yes, hang on a minute. Let me, let me back off here and, and see that this, the, the Nile that we have been worshiping, I mean, he just touched it with his rod and now it's become blood. That should have been enough evidence. But that wasn't enough evidence. And so the frogs came. Again, they worshipped the frogs, so they wouldn't kill them. And the plague of frogs came, and they were jumping all, all around in their bedchambers, everywhere, in their pots. And by the way, these first two, in fact, the first three plagues also affected the Israelites. Take note of that. 
And then there was the fly of lice, the, the, the plague of lice. Now in all of these three, it's interesting, just to back up a little bit, because um, Moses did those miracles, didn't he? He, he, he showed Pharaoh that his um, uh, rod turned into a serpent. And you remember then Pharaoh's magicians turned their rods into uh, serpents. But then what happened to that? Moses' rod ate the other two. Now, this didn't convince Pharaoh. It's interesting that we see that those magicians were able to make something appear like something. You see, only God has the power to create life, yes? Correct. Does the devil have power to create life, yes or no? The devil, does he have power to create life, yes or no? No, he does not. And so what he did through the magicians was an optical illusion. It looked like the real thing that God was performing with the rod of Moses. Now this is very important because the devil will do the same thing today. He will make things appear as though they are real. He will make it look like somebody's coming back from the dead. These kinds of things. And, and magicians, we should have nothing to do with magic, by the way. Did somebody say amen? We should have nothing to do um, with magic or magicians because that is deceptive and the devil is the arch deceiver. So right off the bat, we know that we shouldn't have anything to do with that. But I hear about some people calling, um, talking about Christian magic or a Christian magician. It's an oxymoron. You know that term. It just cannot happen. It's like um, having an Adventist or, or sorry, there I, I say a, a Christian prostitute. It, it doesn't work. You don't have a Christian thief. It doesn't work. You understand what we're saying here. And so those um, magicians were able three times to counterfeit these three plagues. And uh, the Bible says that come the fourth plague, uh, the plague of flies, that the Egyptians um, were really, really suffering now. Now, from here on, none of the plagues touch the Israelites. The Bible says that throughout those plagues, the plagues of cattle, the plagues of the sores, the plagues of the hail and brimstone, fire and brimstone, and the locusts and the darkness, all of these plagues fell only on the Egyptians and not on the people of God. Again, friends, we see the parallels. Do you know how many plagues are going to be poured out that are called in the book of Revelation the last plagues? How many are there? Seven. Just like the seven plagues, the last plagues in Egypt. They will not touch God's people. Thank you. Somebody said amen. But God's judgments will come. And we as a people are given this message, the Advent message, the three angels' message, messages. It, it is a message of freedom. Amen? Christ's righteousness is a message of deliverance from sin. It's a message of power to overcome my sinful, innate, um, carnal nature. That's the message. You see, to be an Adventist isn't just to come to church on Sabbath. You, you realize that, friends, don't you? By now, you, you, you understand that. We will not get into heaven by just coming and sitting the, in the pews. And I've got my glow tracks again. How many of you have got your glow tracks? Praise the Lord. There's more of you this time than last time I asked. Keep up, keep up the good work. You know, I was talking with um, uh, a little boy. And uh, he's not here. His name is Tommy. 
And he said, I leave glow tracks in my daddy's jacket, in my daddy's shirt pocket, in the car. When he's getting into the car, do you know why he's leaving glow tracks all around where daddy can see them? Because he wants daddy to come to church. You see, friends, to be a true Christian, Adventist, Bible-following believer, we don't keep it to ourselves. We share it. And the more we share, the more excited we are. Because we see more and more people coming to know the Lord. And this is what we're called to. But friends, the Bible tells us that Pharaoh hardened his heart every time at each a plague. Now, it comes to a point where even the Egyptians uh, start saying to Pharaoh, look, Pharaoh, haven't you seen enough? I mean, look at what's happening. When, when all the cattle and the livestock uh, were killed, and when the boils came, everybody, and the hail, and, and then the darkness, all of, all of these things, the Egyptians, and, and then it was just Pharaoh and the priests that were keeping on stubbornly resisting. And as you know, that final plague, the death of the firstborn, I don't want actually to get into it right now. But all of those plagues were telling Pharaoh, I'm in charge of my people. You will let my people go. And we see this Pharaoh, the Napoleon of the Egypt of the day, stubbornly refusing. You know, it's, it's a very dangerous thing to stubbornly refuse the evidence that God gives of his truths in his word and of the prophecies of his Bible. It's a kind of a mindset that is really, um, it doesn't make sense. The stubborn unbelief, the stubborn resistance. You know, I've seen it happen to Adventists. I've seen it happen to people where they just say, well, you know, we don't really need this belief or that doctrine. It could be the spirit of prophecy. It could be the sanctuary doctrine. When I, when I see people like that, that claim to be Seventh-day Adventists, I tremble. Because I've had enough experience in, in ministry to see that when people start like that, they don't stop sliding. Eventually, they'll slide right out of the church. Eventually, they'll slide right out of keeping the Sabbath. Eventually, they'll stop believing in God. I've seen it happen with my own eyes. Friends, when we suddenly take on a different idea from that which is given to us by God in His Word, by the Spirit of prophecy, we're on dangerous ground. We cannot tread on enchanted ground and think we can be okay. Some people think, well, you know, I can um, you know, stop coming to church, stop returning tithing. Just for, when I want to, I'll come back. Have you ever heard smokers say, I can give up whenever I want? And I've heard Christians say, well, you know, I can come back whenever I want. Do not presume that you can manipulate the pleadings of the Holy Spirit. The longer the Spirit is grieved, the more difficult it is for you to hear His voice next time He tries to speak to you. That is why we can never allow ourselves to fall into the trap of just allowing one little sin. 
Because if we allow one little sin, one little transgression, it doesn't stop there. And I've seen well-meaning young people and old saying, well, God will understand. Friends, we cannot presume to say, I can just come back when I want. In fact, I read in the book of Hebrews. I read in the book of Hebrews where Paul writes and, and he says that if somebody turns away, if somebody turns away from hearing the truth, that's impossible for them to come back. Now, what I believe that means is that it's impossible for them in their own strength to come back. It is only by the strength of God that they may come back. But generally, the message that I read there is that if you turn away from the truth that you have once known, what you have done in your mind is you have shifted your allegiance. You have changed, you have allowed your mind now to come under the control, yes, of the enemy when you reject truth that you once accepted as truth because when you reject truth that you once accepted as truth it now for you becomes what it becomes a lie oh my friends we cannot resist the pleadings of the Holy Spirit without suffering the consequences you see these plagues fell on Egypt and upon Pharaoh to show Pharaoh and to show the whole surrounding nations and to show the Israelites that God really has power to deliver. Amen? He really does have power to deliver. And we have a message today to preach, and it goes along those lines, that God can deliver his people. He can deliver me from any sin, from any habit. He can give me freedom. He can give me joy. As Seventh-day Adventists, we should be the most happiest and joyful Christians even in the midst of hardship. That's what I want for me, for my children. That's what I want for you. But the parallels to this story and to our time are phenomenal. In closing, I'd just like to draw your attention to a quotation from the Spirit of Prophecy. Israel, under the Exodus movement, was a type of the experiences of modern Israel under the Advent movement. They are parallel. Exodus movement of the Israelites and the Seventh-day Adventist church are parallel movements. Ancient literal Israel was called out of ancient literal Egypt and led through the wilderness to the promised Canaan land. Modern spiritual Israel is called out of modern spiritual Egypt and Babylon. That is our job, to call people out of Babylon. But it seems like Babylon is having a, a more successful job of calling God's people out of the remnant church and into Babylon. Symbolic of darkness and confusion and is being led through the wilderness of sin to the heavenly Canaan land. The above scripture, in fact, she quotes the scripture of 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 1 to 12. She's quoting and now commenting 
on that scripture. The above scripture is a call to the Advent people to study the experiences and journeyings of the ancient Israel under the Exodus movement. The books of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua should receive very careful study by the Advent movement as they near the borders of the heavenly Canaan. Now this is taken from volume 5, page um, 75 of the Testimonies. I have been shown that the spirit of the world is fast leavening the church. What does that mean, friends? It means that slowly the world is creeping into the Advent movement and weakening it. That's what that means. We need to break out of that kind of tentacle-like, worldly wrapping around the church. We need to free ourselves from Babylon, from confusion. There is the same falling away from your holy calling as God's peculiar people. The sin of ancient Israel was in disregarding the expressed will of God and following their own way according to the leading of unsanctified hearts. Modern Israel are fast following in their footsteps and the displeasure of the Lord is as surely resting upon them. Page 94. Could that be applicable to us, that God's displeasure is resting upon us as a people? Why don't we see more conversions? Why don't we see more people coming to church? Friends, I believe it is because we are playing and toying too much with the world. In our lives, in our own personal lives, in our lack of connection with the Lord and our lack of connection to the Word of God. I'm preaching to myself, friends, not just to you. We need as Adventists to rise up as never before and to stop the delay of the coming of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and to believe what he has told us and realize that we have a warning to give the world. There will be seven last plagues that will be poured out upon the world, upon unbelievers. We want to save people from that, from that judgment. Friends, will you stand with me? As a faithful Seventh-day Adventist, will you stand with me this morning and commit by God's grace, not like the Israelites who said, yes, we'll follow it. Will you stand with me and say, I believe this message. I don't want to follow anything else. I have found the truth. Will you stand and say, I promise by God's grace to hold on to this truth, to realize that God is true, to think about him every day and say, I love you, Lord. I thank you for your promises. Friends, we need to be a people of the book again. We need to be a people of commitment that we will say with our whole heart and mean it through his strength, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you, my, my heavenly Father. Friends, as I see you rising, my heart is warmed. Are there any, is there anybody else, maybe in the balcony, you want to say, Lord, I have been a wimpy kind of Adventist up till now, but I want to stop all of that. I don't want to be stubborn anymore. I don't want to harden my heart like Pharaoh. I don't want to come to the point where there will be no more hope for me. Friends, as we stand this morning, I am confident that by God's grace, as I look into your eyes, and I'm looking to see every single one of you, that by the grace of God, we will go through. But it won't, it won't be easy. We will see the signs of the times fulfilling with more rapidity. We will need to be on our knees more. We will need to, to love one another more. We will need to support one another more. 
We will need to encourage one another more. Friends, we vow together in standing this morning to be God's people to the end. Amen? Let us pray. Father in heaven, oh Lord, we are so grateful to you. If we would just look at ourselves, Lord, we see sin, we see weakness, we see broken promises. Lord, but help us not to look at ourselves. Help us look up. Help us to look up to Jesus and know that you have raised up this Advent movement. You have raised it up at exactly the time that you wanted it to be raised up. Just after that great disappointment, when early Advent believers thought that Jesus was going to come in 1844, and out of that movement grew a studious group that studied the Scriptures for themselves and discovered in the books of Hebrews and Revelation and in the Old Testament that there was a heavenly sanctuary that Jesus had now gone to minister into and that from 1844, he began his second part of his high priestly ministry, the cleansing of the sanctuary. When God's people, as the Word says, should be judged to see whether they are faithfully following all that they said they ha and have committed to. Father in heaven, as we see the obvious delay, and I say obvious because it would only be a blind person that would say there is no delay in the coming of our Lord. As we see the obvious delay, we pray that we wouldn't continue it any longer by our unbelief, by our lusting after the things of the world, by our indolence, by our lukewarmness even. Though we do come to church, we're asleep in our hearts. Father, please forgive us, cleanse us, revive us, we pray. And help us to heed the words, to listen to the words and follow the words that you have given to us in the spirit of prophecy and in the Holy Bible. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have helped us find the true church. And though it's not perfect, we know that you will carry it through. We know we're having a little difficulty with unity here and there. But Father, we know that ultimately you will carry us through. And so we pray for this church, for every member standing, for every person that may be listening, that they would make the same commitment to recommit their lives to being a faithful Seventh-day Adventist. And Father, if there are any former Seventh-day Adventists out there, I pray that you would call them back while it, there is still time because the longer they stay away, the more impossible it will be for them to come back and they will stay in the clutches of the enemy and be deceived ultimately. Father in heaven, your word is clear. Those that follow you and seek after righteousness will be persecuted. Those that want to follow you and keep your commandments will be forbidden from buying and selling and will have threats. They will have their property taken away. Father, I pray that we may stand with our eyes firmly fixed on Jesus, fixed on that new Jerusalem, that city that is going to be ours one day soon. Father, as we stand before you, we recommit our lives to you now and ask for strength to carry on, for joy for the journey, for power for, for the way, that we may have your abiding presence, the Holy Spirit with us every step of the way from now until Jesus comes. This is our prayer and we ask it in the precious and powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and soon coming King. 
This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.